churches today lost their way? Brother Barry discussed the importance of keeping our spiritual candles burning on today's episode of Through the Bible. Through the Bible is recorded live at Winrock Baptist Church in Abilene. if you would take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1 beginning in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake unto me, and being turned, I saw the seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were likened to wool, and as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass, if they burned into a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious and holy Father in heaven, Lord, I just thank you so much for this uh, day that you've given us. For this opportunity to come before you, Lord, to uh, speak your word. I just pray, Lord, that the truth be hidden in the heart of each person here, that we might be the servants that you would have for us to be. Lord, I just pray that the the meaning that you need each one of us to find in this word comes to us, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you be with us throughout the remainder of service, that you forgive us of our sins, that you forgive us where we failed you. And I ask all these things in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we see here in chapter 1 a vision that John had of these seven churches and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'll notice that these seven churches had seven stars which were represented of the angels of each church. And it also it says there's seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So each church has an angel, 
and each church has a candlestick. Now, if we look in the Old Testament, we'll find our examples of what the candlestick means and what it represents. The uh, little bulbs, if you will, on the top of the candlestick had a wick in them. And these bulbs on these candlesticks were full of olive oil. And God instructed them in Leviticus to make a candlestick to put in the tabernacle. And he said to make it out of 100% beaten gold. Not gold plate. He said take a piece of gold and beat what I tell you out of it. And this candlestick had three branches went off one side and three branches went off the other side. And then the main stick that went up through the middle and there was a bulb on each one of them and they filled these with olive oil and put a wick in them. And they put these in the tabernacle. Now, olive oil in the Old Testament is representative of the Holy Spirit. And the candlestick is representative of the instrument of the Holy Spirit and the office and uh, the way that it's used. And of course the wicks are the uh, example of the light of God's word as it brings illumination in the dark. And we find here in Revelation chapter 1 that the churches have candlesticks representative of the Holy Spirit that each church has that works in the church. So it's an important part of a true local New Testament church to have this candlestick, to have the Holy Spirit and the office that it can have. Now in chapter 2 of Revelation, God tells the church at Ephesus, I'm going I'm to take your candlestick away. Now, folks, that'd be pretty serious business for a church to lose their candlestick. That means he said, I'm going to take away the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take it away from y'all. And there's reasons why that God would take the candlestick away from a church. It's something a church can lose. And see, I think a lot of times churches don't think that. They don't realize that they could lose the empowering of the Holy Spirit. They could lose their candlestick. They could basically lose their light. They could be in the dark. And we're going to talk this morning about losing your candlestick and what that means. Now, like I said before, we like to look at the Old Testament because the Lord told us that it was profitable for types and examples. And if we want to understand some things in the New Testament, we can look at the Old Testament as our example. So I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And, and this is a, a, a familiar story, but I hope that I'm able this morning to maybe bring out some things that you haven't seen before or thought about and the relevance to it. You know, I, I love... Uh, what we what we call our Old Testament Bible stories. I just love I love that, and I love to read about them and and everything. But the main thing that we're supposed to get out of them is our examples for our lives today. They have relevance, and so here in in Samuel chapter three, 
Starting in verse 1, it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. So the only word from God they have is what they had written down. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. It says, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. You know, there's one of those uh, old English words that everybody says is so hard to understand, ere. There's not anything wrong with that word. And it ain't hard to understand. Air simply means before something else happens. If you got a word and you don't know what it means, look it up. You know, it ain't hard. It ain't hard, folks. It's just something that happens before something else. So, but you notice here it says, Air the lamp of God went out in the temple. Well, why is it saying that? The lamp of God, it tells us in Leviticus, ain't never supposed to go out. The light is supposed to always shine in God's house. The Holy Spirit should always be working in God's house. But it said just before the lamp went out that God called upon Samuel. Now why was the, why was the light going out? Because Eli was letting it go out. He was the chief priest. It was his job to keep the candlesticks full of oil and to trim the wicks and make sure the light was always up and bright because, folks, that temple didn't have no windows in it. There was no other source of light in there except this. That's it. That's all there was. The light of a church is the Holy Spirit. That is our light. And it's a stewardship in the dispensation of the grace that God has given His local New Testament churches that we should properly steward the Holy Spirit. That means we shouldn't be like Eli here and let run out of oil, let the light go out. We shouldn't be like that. We should be better stewards of what God's given us than Eli was. Now you notice... God ain't talking to Eli here. See, God has pronounced judgment upon Eli because he did not run his household properly and he did not run God's house properly and God had pronounced judgment on it and Eli already knew all this. But now Samuel's different and Eli's been teaching him. Now just because Eli hasn't been doing right doesn't mean he doesn't know to do right. He knows what you're supposed to do. And he's been a good teacher for Samuel. But God's not speaking to Eli. You know, it said there in that first verse there that there wasn't any open vision. See, Eli would be the one to be getting the visions, and he wasn't getting them. He wasn't getting nothing from God. But he was trying to kind of go about his duties, you know. But he wasn't taking good care of those things. He wasn't taking good care of them at all. And so it says here in verse 4 that the Lord called on Samuel and he said, Here am I. And he ran into Eli and he said, Here am I, for thou hast called me. And he said, I called you not. Lie down. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, 
for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Okay? He didn't know the Lord, but the Lord was calling upon him. Now, I think this is an important distinction to make today, and that is no man come to the Lord except the Spirit drawing. And the Spirit was drawing young Samuel. He, he, the Bible is just saying right here he didn't know the Lord. He wasn't saved. He wasn't saved. He just went around the temple doing what he was told to do. But he wasn't saved, but the Lord was calling upon him. And Samuel was ready, you notice, he was ready to answer the call of God. Folks, God will only call on someone so many times and then he'll stop. The Bible said he'll only strive so much with a man. But every man at some point, they're going to get that call to come to Jesus. And that's going to be the biggest decision they ever make in their life is whether or not they answer that call. Man, young Samuel was ready. He was ready to answer that call. And, of course, we know that Eli said, figured out, hey, I didn't talk to him, so it must be God. So he tells Samuel, next time you hear that, just say, here am I, Lord. And he did. And, folks, I'm telling you, that's when he got saved. That's when he got saved. When he believed God is when he got saved. But you notice here at the beginning of the story that would become a great man, Samuel, a great man. He started out in not too good of a place. He started out in a temple that wasn't serving or worshiping or serving God's people like it should with a backslidden priest. The Bible said he was a great big man when he died he died because he just fell off his stool and he was so big he broke his neck Eli didn't take care of things the way he should we see ere the light went out God talked to Samuel right before the light went out why was it going out Eli wasn't taking care of it wasn't doing what he was supposed to do that light ain't never supposed to go out in the tabernacle it ain't never supposed to go out the priest is supposed to make sure that thing's full all the time so that the light never goes out because it means something. The light means something. We know also the light is a symbolic of God's word. That's why God said, don't ever let my word go out in my house. The word should always shine forth in the house of God. Always. So what, you know, what happens? Why does it happen? How does a church get to the point where they just lose their candlestick? How do they they ever get to that point? Folks, I think this is an important question for us to contemplate today. 
you know. Like I said, the popular teaching on these seven churches is that these are seven different dispensations. It don't say that. It don't say it nowhere. And people that teach that are teaching wrong. Okay? That example to that church is an example to me and to you. It's not some past dispensation or some future dispensation didn't come. That's hogwash. That's not in this book. Don't put it in here if it ain't in here. We've been talking about the true word of God this last several weeks. Folks, this is one of the main things we need to get straight. If it ain't in here, don't put it in here. I mean, the devil is the only one to gain by teaching all this nonsense. God didn't intend for it to be that difficult to understand. But when man has something he don't understand, he tries to make up his own explanation, which the Bible says is a man leaning to his own understanding. And we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to read this word and believe what it says. That example to that church is an example to me and you. These are examples of churches that Jesus is going to find when he comes back and they're warnings that you and I need to heed. There's three things that can happen in a church for a church to lose their candlestick. And folks, if a church loses their candlestick, then you as a child of God is in a serious situation yourself. Okay? This is something we need to be concerned about. We do. I'm telling you the world is full of churches that maybe started out as local, scriptural, New Testament churches, but they've lost their candlestick. They've lost the spirit. They've lost the light of God's word to expound in this world. They've lost it. It ain't just this one church at Ephesus. I'm telling you, there's going to be lots of them that don't have it. We need to make sure that we take care of ours and we have it when the Lord comes back. I want to I want to be standing in that light when he comes back. I want to. I think it's important. I think God expects us of that. So what's the number one thing? Well, the number one most obvious thing that I see here when I look at our Old Testament example of Eli concerning the light in God's house and that candlestick is don't get lazy. Folks, Eli was lazy, okay? He was a great big old guy. Said he, the, every time you, you, it seemed like every time you hear about Eli or read about him in the Bible, he's sitting or laying down. Okay? He's not doing anything. And his sons took his same example. We talked this morning in Sunday school about leading by example. Eli was not a good example to his sons. He, he didn't tend to business, he was lazy, and he had sons just like him, and it caused God to issue condemnation upon Eli and judgment. That's what happens when you don't do right. I don't want God's judgment on me. I don't want it. I don't doubt for a minute that Eli was saved. I don't doubt it. He did and said a lot of things that only a person who knows the Lord can say and do. I don't doubt it. But folks, he lost it. He lost his light. He let it go out. He didn't take care of his business. He got lazy. Christians today have got a problem with being lazy. 
We just want to do what we want to do, what's pleasing to us, and we don't worry all that much about God as long as everything's going good, as long as it ain't going too bad. And then when we start having a problem, we say, well, God, why did you let this happen to me? I know you did it. Why did you do this to me? That's what people do today. It's ridiculous. And it's just from our own laziness that these kind of things happen. Don't get lazy. Keep the oil full. Keep the wick trim. Keep the light bright. I don't think it's too much to ask. The second thing that I see. You notice there in Samuel there in verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord was precious. In those days, because there was no open vision. And if you just read that and think about it, you think, well, people probably thought a whole lot about the Word of God. Uh, no, that wasn't it at all. It was precious because there was little of it. You know, if there's just a little bit of something, it's worth a whole lot more than if there's tons of it. You know, laws supply and demand. It was precious because all they had, folks, was what they had written on a few scrolls. They couldn't go down to the local bookstore and, and buy, you know, uh, uh, 66 books of the Bible. They couldn't, they couldn't do that. All they could do was go to the tabernacle and listen to the priest read from some scrolls. That's all they had. There was no open vision in those days. That means God was not giving them any more word. You know why? Because the condition of his house. Because there was no right preaching and no right teaching. That's why that this wasn't going on. We had a, we had a lazy preacher and there was nothing being taught. There was nothing being expounded upon and the truth was not being propagated to God's people like it needed to be. And folks, that's the problem that's going on in, in the world today. The Word of God's not precious anymore. It ain't precious at all. There's so much of it in so many different languages written so many different ways with so many different interpretations that people don't even think nothing about it anymore. It's exactly the opposite. There's too much of it. So the real, true Word of God that's in this book right here, people don't appreciate. They don't, have, they don't take it seriously enough. It's not precious to them like it should be. Like it would be if there was just a little bit and this is all we had. I never will forget the story of a... a, a, a Missionary was telling about how he um, was out on the mission field and he was trying to witness to some people in a foreign country and he handed out a Bible to one of them and they began to tear out the pages and pass it around so everybody could have some of, the, some of God's Word. You know? And he got upset. Why are you tearing it up? Why are you tearing it up? And they said, we're not tearing it up. We want everybody to read it. We want everybody to read it. People aren't like that nowadays. People say, well, 
uh, it, it doesn't matter. E- everyone's different. Everybody's got a different idea. It needs to be modernized. It needs to be, uh, you know, we need to take that word air out of there. That's too hard to understand, That them three letters right there. That's tough, man. You know, people won't be able to read it, won't be able to understand it. That's, that's, it's just garbage. And then now, you know, there's all these people that, are, that want you to think that they're wise, you know. Of course, the Bible talks to us about people who want to be wise in their own eyes, in the eyes of man. But there's lots of people nowadays, and they try to say, well, the only way you can really learn the Bible, the only way you can really get it is if you go and you, and you get somebody who knows their Greek and their Hebrew real good to really teach it to you. Folks, that's another bunch of hogwash. Don't let people tell you that. It's a lie. It's a big lie. That's not true. The men who translated this King James Bible, 54 men, were fluent. Okay? Do you understand fluent? They were fluent in Greek. Not just Greek. They were fluent in Greek. Latin, and several languages. Most of them could speak at least seven languages fluently. Okay? Don't let that word fluent go by you. All right? Your college professors today at, at Baptist Bible colleges across this United States are not fluent in the language. Okay? They do what you can do. They get them a concordance, Greek dictionary, Greek grammar book, and they dissect, parsec sentences, and get the, the meanings of words out of that, and that's, that's how they know Greek. I saw a man make this point. He was doing a a lecture in a hall of professors, hundreds of them. Guys with double PhDs in Greek and Hebrew and Latin, tons of them. He said, I want all of you professors to take this quiz, and he passed this quiz out. had ten questions on it. And he said, I want you to tell me what these words are. Okay. Out of like 300 people, there was like maybe one man who could get four words out of the ten, translate them from Greek to English. And you say, well, he probably asked real hard words. Uh, I don't remember all of them, but one of them was like the color red. Water, monkey, dog, cow, hello, stuff like that. The, did you hear what I said? The best score was, was a 40. And he had a double PhD. Folks, this is a guy teaching future pastors. This is the guy teaching people, saying, you need to know Greek to really learn the Bible. Do you, you tell me he really knows Greek? 
And here's another big lie they try to tell you. They try to tell you that, uh, well, the Greek that they spoke back in Jesus' day was Koine Greek, a common Greek, and they don't speak that anymore. Well, just here last year, five preachers said, well, we're going to try to go prove that. So they took a Textus Recepticus New Testament. That's the closest thing we got to what they translated the King James out of. Greek. And they went to Cyprus and they stayed for a week. And they filmed it. And they walked around, handed people Bibles who had never seen them before, Greek New Testaments, in, in the Textus Recepticus and says, can you read this? And there was not one of them who could not read it. Not one of them. Not only could they have, they didn't have any trouble reading it, they, did, they understood it just fine. And they had another guy that put it back in English. Guess what? It sounded just like a King James Bible. And so they would ask him, well, did you have any trouble reading that? And they said, no. They said, this is kind of old, you know, Greek. Greeks don't talk like this anymore, but we don't have any trouble understanding it. So pretty much like me and you reading the King James Bible. That's old English, isn't it? But see, folks, this is the lie. So who, who do you want, you know, translating your Bible? You want somebody that can do like I can do with a, with a phone app and a Strong's Concordance going word by word? Or do you want somebody who's fluent, that is, it's their second language or their first language. They can go in a restaurant and order a meal. They can go and buy a car. They can go to a bank and conduct business and all in Greek. You rather Would you believe that guy or would you believe me who's sitting here going, uh, uh. You understand the difference in fluent? You understand? So I'm telling you, that is the lie they're trying to perpetrate. So 54 guys that were fluent understood every aspect of Greek and Hebrew translated this book. I trust them better than I do my phone app or a concordance or any of this other stuff. Trust them better. It's the way it is for a reason, folks. This is why the churches are going to lose their light. They're getting lazy. It don't matter what Bible you use, you know. And went to the ladies' meeting yesterday, and Tammy said, man, they were handing out all this stuff, and it was all NIV, every bit of it. If you ask somebody why they use the NIV, they'll say, well, it's easier to understand. You know why? Because somebody else told them that. That's what, you know, that's why they do it. Or they're too embarrassed to say, well, I still use the King James while my buddy over here uses an ESV, you know. I want to be in the, in the in crowd. I'm telling you, the devil is causing God's light to get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer because he's trying to mess with God's word. And me and you are the ones that let it happen. God's children are the ones that let it happen. No right preaching, no right teaching. And then what's what's the third thing? The third thing that caused a church to lose its light. Go back over there to Revelation. Back over there in Revelation, go to chapter 2 of Revelation, chapter 2, and we're going to go to that verse where they lose their candlestick. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. 
Watch it. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. Okay? He said, remember where you come from and repent and do the first works or else I will come to thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place except thou repent. There's that word again. Is there anybody in here thinks he's talking to save, talking to unsaved lost people? Does it, is it pretty obvious who he's talking to here, isn't he? He's talking to his church. He's talking to saved people and he's telling them to repent, isn't he? What's he telling them to repent of? He's telling them, y'all got away from what you were taught in the first place. Okay? You got away from the true word of God. Because thou hast left thy first love, is what he says there in verse 4. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. He said, turn away from where you're at, for the direction you're going, or you're going to lose something that's very precious to you. Repent and do the first works. Do the first works. And then he repeats to him again there at the end of that. He tells them to repent again. Well, what's the first works of God's churches? What's the first work? What's the main thing that we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be winning the loss. We're supposed to be soul winning and making disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If we as a church don't want to lose our candlestick, we don't want to lose the power of the Holy Spirit that God's given us, we need to be making an effort to win souls and make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We need to take the time to study and hide them few three, four, five, six verses, however many you think you might want to use when you talk to somebody about Jesus Christ and try to win some souls. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Telling people, all you got to do is believe on Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. God raised him from the dead. You know what he did for you? That's what we need to do. Win them and make disciples. That's what churches are supposed to do. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 8 that his disciples, his true disciples, would bear much fruit. It's important that we bear fruit. What kind of fruit are you bearing? What kind of fruit are you bearing for Jesus Christ? We have a tendency to think about it. Maybe it just affects me. I'm just losing rewards. I'm the only one that's going to have to answer for not talking to people about Jesus. But do you see it affects everybody? Because the candlestick goes with the church. That empower of the Holy Spirit goes with the whole church. So each one of us has a personal responsibility as members of a local New Testament church to excise what God has told us to, to win souls to Jesus Christ. Yeah, win them. Yeah, Paul talked about winning them. Preaching to them. Everybody's supposed to preach. That means everybody's supposed to expound the gospel. Everybody should be ready in instant in season. Yeah, it'll require a little bit of work on your part to be ready. But isn't it worth it? To be where you're supposed to be when Jesus comes back? I want the song leader and the pianist to come. And we're just going to have a, a word of invitation. 
Folks, every time that you're in God's house, it ought to be a time of self-examination. It ought to be a time when you can uh, open your heart up before the Lord and hear that Holy Spirit come. Because you're in God's house. This is where the light is. This is where the candlestick is. This is where the flames are up and the oil is supposed to be full. And the light of God's Word is supposed to be shining through. We should be ready to receive it as we stand and sing what number? 563. Number 563. 563. We thank you for your attention in today's lesson. If you would like to attend a class in person, classes are held every Sunday at 10 a.m at 4340 Edgemont Drive in Abilene, Texas.